Um, we have, uh, this is coming up, this is the week leading up to Easter. So it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we are going to team up with St. Dunstan's over in Aldergrove and have um, some time with them um, that we are invited to be part of. Eden and I are going to be speaking at different evenings through the thing. Um, so come join us there. It will be 7 till 7.45, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday is a little bit longer, starts at 6, because it includes supper. Um, so we'll have a simple supper together, wash feet, do all those Monday, Thursday things. Uh, Good Friday is in the morning. That's another hour and a half, um, and that takes us through the passion. Um, and then Easter Saturday is a, well, um, we're calling it, um, I think it's the garden and compost. What is planted in the earth. Um, so if you can join us for any of those things, that would be fantastic. Uh, because this is Lent. This is a 40 days leading up to Easter. We are just about week three right now. The word Lent refers to the lengthening of the day. And you'll notice that happened quite dramatically today. Uh, the day will be longer by an hour today. Um, so we welcome light in this season. Like it expands and we're using Matisse as our guide and the colors of Lent. We've had green and blue, today is black. Um, and if you look, uh, there are some black and white images. Did I put them in there, Stephen, I think? This is Matisse's self-portraits. I'm just saying, the bar is low. <laughs> this is Marguerite reading. I guess she was a friend of his. And then this one, just to move the bar even lower. The bar is low. Um, on the table over there um, is a white canvas. And there are some black Sharpies. And I would love you to go and add your face. Okay, the bar is low. Okay, so nobody go, oh, but I'm not an artist. If you can do this, you win. Okay, um, just think, embrace your inner three-year-old who did this, sticks, and we're done. Okay, so put yourself on that. Um, put yourself on that. That is the invitation. Black is the canvas of a night sky. It is the richness of topsoil. It is the place, uh, a simple drawing that's kind of everything down in its essence. It's just the bare bones. And that is what, uh, there is beauty in simplicity. And that is what we're doing today. Um, so black is the line in a simple drawing. It is also the dark that the sunflower seed gets hidden in. Where TJ is standing right now. TJ, can you wave to everybody? Where TJ is standing right now, um, there is a planting station. And there are sunflowers and little egg carton cutouts and soil and the invitation is to go just put a put a sunflower in like an inch deep in that soil take it home water it and wait for it to grow it will produce beauty in our community all around the place as and when it grows and then seeds for the birds which is kind of cool so the portrait and the seed pa uh, planting can be done at any point and during singing might be a good time there is also communion over there um, underneath the big Jesus picture and you are welcome to go take that whenever you are ready to everyone is invited to the table that Jesus has set for us always I'm just here to pass on the invitation it's his so let's just pray and then we're gonna sing together God of simplicity and grace help us get back to basics loving you loving our neighbors loving ourselves may we keep things simple essential and beautiful in Jesus' name, amen. Um, let me just pray for you.
So God, I thank you for Eden, and I pray that you would speak through her this morning um, with all that she's prepared for us, that it would be life and light and um, that it would be you speaking today. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen. Thank you. Um, before I get started, I just wanted to point out that due to a little staff snafu, um, Kathy got the coffee all on for us this morning all on her own. So um, I think she gets a little kudos back there for uh, having managed that. Thank you, Kathy. If you, um, if you have a few minutes at the end of the service to like help her clean up and stuff, that'd be awesome. Um, I don't think we'd be saying no to that. So this doesn't happen um, very often, at least in my, um, in my life, but the four passages from the lectionary for today are all on the same topic. Um, so what I wanna do is filter these passages through the lens of Lent. If you aren't familiar with what Lent is, I'll give you a quick summary. So Sarah already mentioned a few things. The things I'm mentioning kind of are not exactly the same, so it means that Lent is probably a lot broader and wider than um, we have tried to make it. So the season of Lent is meant to commemorate the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert, fasting and praying and facing temptations. Not all versions of Christianity put a lot of effort into, into this observance, but common, commonly it's associated with fasting from something. And while it is a community practice, each of us participates in our own way. Fasting can easily be associated, and we've done that a lot um, with giving up food, but that's not the limits of how we can participate in fasting. And I would suggest you find the thing that hooks you the most, that gets in your way the most, and trips you up over and over, and try to fast from that. One of the ways I try to keep on track with fasting is a message on my chalkboard in my kitchen, and it just says, let it go. During this Lent, the fast I'm on, or should I say desperately clinging to, is letting go of the things I cannot control. If I find my mind wandering to worry, I look up and I see the message, let it go, and I take a deep breath and I sigh, and that's the way I have my body participate in the fast with me and with my mind and my heart. The point of Lent is not so much to deny yourself, though that might be what most people think or have been led to believe, but rather to purge ourselves of things that are not good for us. The effect that affect you negatively and that hold you back from coming into who you are more genuinely meant to be. I want to disclose something before I go any further because I think it's important. As I wrote this talk, there were two dynamics that I processed these passages through. First, I've written this talk to myself, and I would like to, um, and I would, I would go to the mirror and I would read what I had written. 
And the second dynamic was that I didn't go to the mirror alone. I had Jesus by my side. So considering that, let's get into the passages. All four passages cover the aspects of confession. Perhaps most of us experience confession as examining ourselves before communion, lest we partake unworthily. Others may imagine confession means sitting in a confessional booth, listing off a litany of sins, maybe that's just me, followed by our fathers and Hail Marys, which, by the way, are not punishments, but are meant to draw you closer to Jesus. For others, it might bring up a memory of an awkward scenario where someone, let me insert a woman, and only the woman is hauled up in front of the church to confess her sexual sin and subsequent pregnancy out of wedlock. So cringy. For some who have gone through a 12-step program, confession is your fearless moral inventory. And all of these forms of confession have a purpose. But I'm hoping to see that confession is more than a review of our failures and shortcomings. Confession in the context of Lent seems to me to have an added layer of significance. If people know only one thing about Lent, it's usually that you're meant to give something up. So let's reframe confession in that light, that it's a way of giving something up. Let me tell you a story from my days in Bible college. One afternoon near the end of my third year in school, someone knocked on our women's dorm door and asked for me. I went to the door and stepped outside and there was this guy who I barely knew. I was curious. I, I can only recall like for certain once, one time where I was in a group with him and that was the beginning of our second year. So at least a year and a half prior to him coming to me. Um, he began by confessing to me that he had held a grudge against me and that he was here to confess and ask for forgiveness. So I, I promptly offered him forgiveness and watched a confused look come on his face. So I followed up and I said, um, was there anything else you wanted to say? And he said, well, like, don't you want to know what I was holding against you? And I just said, nope, not at all. At which point he just said goodbye and walked off. Now, I'm going to be honest and tell you that over the years, Brad and I have lightheartedly wondered, what could I have done in that little window of time that would cause him to hold a grudge that long? Um, but I've honestly never been sorry that I passed on hearing what it was. My point in telling this story is that confession is a personal work of the person doing the confessing and is not meant to be used as a form of accusation. Healthy confession is about letting go of our own stuff. Scripture has a trajectory so it establishes something, a truth, a narrative, and then as you continue reading and following that theme, you find that the truth or narrative becomes more defined, more potent, but also sometimes 
less specific and more all-encompassing. So let me give you a for instance. In the law, you're given rules for how to conduct yourself in community. Honor your parents, don't kill people, don't have affairs, don't steal, don't lie, don't be jealous of others. But by the time we get to Jesus, he's boiled it down to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So let's follow the trajectory and glean from these passages what I can what we can find out about confession and what it really might have meant. So number five is set deeply in the law and is both enlightening and deeply troubling. This is Moses writing the law and he reflects a strong need for reparations when having sinned against another. So the first formula they use is a full compensation plus 20%. So you steal $100 or something you've done has cost someone $100, well, you now owe them $120. The second formula in this passage is the disturbing part. Honestly, it amounts to witchcraft, which apologies to those witches who would never do that. The formula is a curse declared over someone, and again, it's a woman. You know, I want to believe that this was early days in a man's understanding of who God is, and that Moses really had no idea how completely committed God is to grace and mercy. So we'll step over that steaming pile of, and get to something of much greater importance. So, if we get this, if we put this through the filter of Lent and letting things go, where do we land? My gut says, let go of your shortcomings and make things right because it costs you. Let's look at our next passage in Psalm 32 to find out what that cost may look like. Here we find David reflecting on that liminal space between feeling our guilt and bringing our confession. And he describes it like this. When I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. That's dramatic, isn't it? I don't even know what that means. All the juices of my life. Maybe it's tears. This passage is demonstrating and suggesting that guilt has a physical manifestation that can be symptomatic in our bodies. If this is true, then that would be a good reason to have confession be part of your regular personal processing. And in this, I'm suggesting that you begin by confessing things to yourself, especially if you are not used to confession. You might even want to practice confessing to yourself in the mirror, because while we are still in denial of our, of our part in things, how will we ever get to healing and wholeness? 
once you've mastered being honest with yourself, then you can make the move of being honest and bring your confessions to others. In this psalm, David brings his confession to the Lord, and the fruit of the confession is described as suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. My sin disappeared. So putting this passage through the filter of Lent, where do we land on that trajectory now? Let's let go of the entanglements of guilt and shame and the cost they are to our body and embrace the healing and wholeness that confession brings. And now let's follow the arc of this theme to James 5, verse 16. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Do you know that confession and apologies are very specific to the culture you're in? So there are all kinds of different ways to confess and apologize. In Korea, a standard apology requires you to bow at at least a 45 degree angle from the waist as you give your apology. A uh, that's just for a standard apology. But if it's a more severe infraction, you are required to bow lower and stay down longer. If it's a political sc scandal, well, that requires you to get on your knees. But if your apology is to someone younger than yourself, then a simple tilt with the head will do. It's a little complicated, but anyways. In Brazil, a gift is required that reflects the taste of the person receiving the apology. I just could not afford to live in Brazil. Um, in the UK, apparently, you, you can never apologize enough. Even if you think you're overdoing it, just keep on apologizing. Is that right? Yep, okay. So, <laughs> this passage is clear. Own your stuff. Talk to who you need to and move forward to healing with wholeness in your relationships. Consider this. Do you have relationships that continue to fester from your past? If so, start by, start by confessing to yourself and work your way toward having those hard conversations that include your confession. Let me tell you another story. There was a certain pole that had been erected almost exactly like that that had been erected on a property that accommodated an old school wash line. The wheel at the end of the line was attached at the very top of the pole, think like telephone pole height, um, because the wash line spanned over a pasture with cows in it. This kept the sheets from becoming edible for the cows. One day, someone who did not own the pole, decided to cut it down by half for some unknown reason. To be clear, the pasture was no longer a pasture and there were no longer cows. 
But when the owner of the pole noticed that it had been halved, they became quite distraught and declared that this act was unforgivable. This event happened in my late teens, like 20 years ago. And even though I have seen this same person forgive far greater offenses, the having of the pole is still considered unforgivable. What's my point? I know that that unforgiveness has come at a cost and that far too much time has passed for such a small grievance. When you get caught up in something that feels unforgivable, try to rise above the moment and look at it in the context of time. Can you really afford to hold on to forgive unforgiveness or is there a way to move forward? So what are we letting go of now? How about this? Let's let go of justification, defensiveness, and grudges. Let's be quick to move to confession and pray for restoration. We have left the last word for Jesus in Matthew 5, where he himself is giving us some teaching on how to conduct ourselves around confession and grudges and making things right. He cautions us about how we think and feel about others and the wounding we can cause by the words we use and the thoughts we think. Jesus lays it out like this. You have heard it said, stop. This is Jesus pointing out the trajectory of scripture right in the moment. You have heard it said, that's where we were. This is where we're going to head. You have heard it said, do not murder. But I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a sibling is guilty of murder. The simple moral fact is that words kill. It's from the message. So what's Jesus asking us to let go of in this passage? How about we let go of holding grudges and make quick work of confession and the mending of relationships? While I worked on this sermon, I was reminded of the Japanese art called kintsugi. It literally means golden joinery. And it is an art form where broken vessels are repaired by using lacquer that is dusted with gold, silver, or platinum. The entire purpose for this art form is to demonstrate that breakage and repair are part of the history of an object, something that can bring beauty rather than being something we need to conceal. The art form of kintsugi is a metaphor for embracing our flaws and imperfections. And I believe that confession may be that gold-dusted lacquer that Jesus uses on our broken vessels. So again, in the context of Lent, and how we're called to fast and let go of things, what would you like to confess to Jesus this morning that you would like to let go of? What makes your bones feel like dust? What makes your words like day-long groans? What prevents you from being whole and healed? Consider finding a mirror and confessing to yourself first 
but please take Jesus with you. We can turn on ourselves very quick and then consider how much further that confession might need to go. But here's the twist. The fact is, the whole point of Lent is not just letting go. It's about making space. It's about opening up our tight grip on the regrets and the resentments to create open hands to receive. Receive what? Well, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away what we let go of and fills our hands and hearts with grace. If it were just about letting go, we would be left empty at the end of Lent. But if Lent is about letting go to receive, we find ourselves at the Passover banquet table, ready to receive what our attachments have hindered us from receiving. Let's pray. Jesus, give us the strength and the courage to acknowledge and confess our shortcomings, the harm done to others, and grudges we have fondled for far too long. Help us to give you our broken vessels with all our imperfections. We ask that you repair us in a way that makes even our failure beautiful. We open our hands to let go and to receive all that you have for us in this Lent. Amen. So this is the place where we do Q&R. I think Brenda's going to be the mic person. Q&R, questions and responses. So where do I go? Who has one? <laughs> Comment or... Um, Hands, anyone? <laughs> this part is just that um, you guys are meant to distill while whoever's up here is uh, pouring out. And we find regularly that the distillation of what you guys how you process it through your lens, through your lives, is actually the mic drop of the morning. No pressure now, um, <laughs> like who wants to take the mic now? Um, but um, we like hearing your reflections or your thoughts about um, what has been said. Silent reflections this yep. morning. And that's fine. <laughs> um, we're, we, can, we can call it a day, too. Oh. Kathy. Just, just bluffing. <laughs> Something uh, really helpful that we learned a long time ago, actually taking a parenting course from uh, Dr. Gordon Neufeld. Gordon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was um, he described confession as, in quotes, to say the same thing as. So we're invited to, if, if that definition is correct, we're invited to say the same thing that is in our heart or that is the truth and to not have to kind of, our apology, make it 
worse than it was or to grovel or to, but just to honestly spend time with Jesus and say the same thing as is in the heart and just, it's changed my, it changed my life. That's very good. I can see where that would be kind of hard to get to sometimes because <laughs> you really have to be honest, don't you? I mean, that's the basis of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think that's what was happening for me looking in the mirror as I was writing and as I was reflecting on um, the ramifications of what I was learning and, and just kind of going, no, I, like, I have to be able to look at myself while I say this and it has to align. So what was going, like, when, when he asked you, did you not want to hear, like, what the grudge was? Like, was it, did you think at all about it? Was it like spontaneous? Like, what goes on in your mind? Because I'm thinking, how did you not want to find out? Do you know what? I, in hindsight, like, I'm really glad that's how it went down. I don't know. I think I was just like, well, I don't want to make this any more awkward than it already is. Like, I really, I had to double check even that I had the right name. Uh, And so I was just so kind of surprised by it that, um, yeah, no, no real big process there, obviously. But I was probably like 20 years old too, so that's in context. Would you, do you have something to say, Jeff? And, and I think that's what I was sidestepping there is like, no, this is, this is your thing. Like, this is your personal thing, your thing, but you're going to like lay it on me. And I, I, I'm not, I don't want it. Thanks. You know? And so, you know, we have to be careful in our confessions that we're not trying to draw out something from the person we're confessing to. That's why, like, in this situation, like, as I was writing this and thinking about even the confessional booth, I'm like, you know, I know that my religious education kind of looked down at that, but in, like, now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, imagine if you could just sit down and just, like, say things that don't affect someone and then have a process like, oh, that's in there. I got I to gotta deal with this, you know? So it's interesting. Ginny. Josh. Oh. Oh, someone on the oh, thing. On Let's the go thing. to Ginny, and then we'll go to the thing over there. I've been really pondering this picture and feeling like we're so often told how broken we are. Um, but I love that, like, Jesus... Um, there's new beauty with him because he, he repairs those things with gold. And um, so I really, I love, I love this visual. Thank you. Yeah, I am um, particularly proud of the fact that I actually had visuals today. First time. <laughs> We're learning. Um, so Nicola in uh, the UK says, allowing time and not being afraid of that um, rather than quick forgiveness if it's not there. So today I found myself saying to God, I do not believe you when he said he accepted me as I was 
and now just trust and sit with that and trust he is working in and will come. Nicola um, is someone I met in Oregon, actually, even though she lives in the UK. And um, she is on a, a very deep um, soul search and, um, and healing journey. And so it is lovely to have her join in um, with us. And she sends me lovely emails that um, just like make me laugh and be delighted, but then also um, just moved by the things that she's able to work through. Anyone else? Greg. Maybe I shouldn't say this in church, but I think maybe you missed it. It was a very uh, prompt, impromptu pickup line, and you missed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a very good pickup line. <laughs> <laughs> they should have a class for that at Bible school then. <laughs> they don't call it bridal school for nothing, eh? There you go. Yeah. All right, well, let's call it a day. Um, are there any last um, announcements that need to be? Zoom next Sunday, just Zoom, or entirely Zoom, I should say. And um, if you need anything from um, Sarah or I or um, someone at the church, you can contact office at thebridgeonline.ca. Um, let me just pray a blessing. So Jesus, for all the things that um, we might want to let go for Lent, that include confession, would you be with us at our side, looking in the mirror with us as we go about this work? Go with us now. Amen. <laughs>